a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. Hello and welcome to this edition of Global Business. I'm Lulu in Beijing. Coming up on the program. Rural vitalization. China aims to enhance farmers' income, ensure food security, and upgrade rural infrastructure in 2024, as outlined in its annual Central Rural Work Conference. Foreign investment. China continues to attract foreign investors with a 32% increase in international company establishments during the first 10 months of the year. Digital dominance. While our forum for Asia highlights digital economy significance and says it accounts for almost 38% of GDP in 14 Asian nations. China has outlined its priorities to further boost farmers' income, strengthen food security, and improve infrastructure in rural areas in 2014-2024. These were deliberated on in the government's annual Central Rural Work Conference in Beijing this week. Zhang Dan has more. Chinese President Xi Jinping, also the General Secretary of the Communist Party of China Central Committee, conveyed important instructions on work to be done in 2024 related to the country's agriculture, rural areas, and farmers. He noted the rural areas' resilience in overcoming adversities, such as the severe natural disasters that hit China in 2023. He also highlighted China's record-breaking grain production, the rapid growth of farmers' income, and the harmony and stability in rural society. Xi Jinping also said a strong agricultural foundation is crucial to China's modernization, calling for dedication to rural development and increasing focus on rural revitalization. The president urged the party to learn from the successes of the 10 million project, emphasizing flexible, tailored strategies and step-by-step progress to address challenges and achieve tangible results for the people's benefit. Maintaining food security was vital, and he called for efforts to stabilize cultivated land area, increase per-unit yields, protect farmlands, and diversify the food supply system. Xi Jinping called on the party's committees, as well as governments at all levels, to strengthen the integration of urban and rural development. The conference also stressed efforts to shore up weak links in rural infrastructure and called for reform and innovation in rural areas. Zhang Dan, CGTN. This week, an official from China's central finance office dismissed concerns about the decline in foreign investment, emphasizing that the country still possesses numerous favorable conditions to attract foreign investors. Let's take a look at some concrete figures. In the first 10 months of this year, China witnessed the addition of 42,000 new international enterprises, representing a year-on-year increase of over 32%. In the meantime, the manufacturing sector has particularly stood out with over $40 billion in actual foreign capital utilization, marking a significant increase of nearly 2%. Additionally, high-tech manufacturing has experienced a yearly growth rate of over 9% in terms of foreign capital utilization. Foreign enterprises have been flocking to China to increase investment since the beginning of the year. Executives from JP Morgan, Apple, General Motors and Pfizer have visited China to ink deals. In April, Tesla announced plans to build another mega plant in Shanghai and in August, 
AstraZeneca said it would step up investment in its factory in Qingdao, Shandong province. And also this year, the Davos R&D test center and also the Starbucks Innovation Park were put into operation. The Chinese government is also shoring up support. It has rolled out a series of policies to optimize the business environment for foreign investors and is continuing to further the development of free trade zones. The Chinese market remains attractive for foreign investors. In recent years, China's utilization of foreign capital structure has continued to improve. Foreign enterprises increased investment in advanced manufacturing and service industries, especially in research and development. China remains attractive for foreign investment. China's foreign investment has maintained a steady growth against the backdrop of weak global cross-border investment and sluggish demand. On the one hand, the momentum stems from the advantages of China's ultra-large market and complete industrial system. On the other hand, it also comes from the trust of global multinational enterprises in China's business environment and economic development prospects. Foreign investors are bullish on China's high-end manufacturing sector. This year, our reporter Zhang Shishun visited two manufacturing facilities in Shanghai to take a look at how that investment is being deployed. This 20-year-old plant manufactures the most modern automotive blades, roughly 2 million sets a year. Today, Shanghai plant is one of the largest plants in our footprint worldwide. We call it the Giga Factory in our group. We have been producing more than 100 million parts since uh, this plant was launched 20 years ago. Meanwhile, more than half a million items come off production lines at the skincare product factory each day. 15 years ago, at that time, it was only support to Chinese mainland, but now it also can cover Taiwan region and also the Asian markets for our about 10% of capacity. It could be the global hub for our health styling centers. It means the products here can also be exported to the uh, European market. It is very important. Most factories which have attracted foreign investment have both efficient and larger-scale production. That's what brought French industrial giant Saint-Gobain to Shanghai to invest in this blazing plant. So we are entering now our lamination workshop where we can produce large windshield for automotive. Let's go. Here is the beginning of the line. So you can see that we are going to take one by one very thin sheets of glass. Here we have basically four main steps, pre-processing, bending, assembly and finishing line. This line can produce roughly one million per year. One million per year? Yeah. Wow. Cut glass will be looking like this. This is exactly the design requested by our customer to mount on their car. Most of the tasks on the production line are now handled by robots. In this workshop, we have three lines. This is the latest uh, line that we have in Shanghai. It was actually installed last year. And this is the first glass which came out uh, out of this line. We are actually quite uh, developing ourselves in the EV markets. So yes, we have new customers coming in recently. This bottling line at a plant owned by German skincare group Beiersdorf has also been moving rapidly towards full automation. All the filling and packaging is done by machines. We first build these production centers and we have a distribution center, of course, and then we add on this uh, innovation center. The ideas come from the innovation centers. You can see that as some kind of samples, pieces, and we send to the pallet lab that in the third floor of these production centers. Once it could be industrialized, it uh, will be approved by our uh, process and it will be finally produced in this first and second floor's workshop. The multinationals are setting ambitious growth targets.
in the next five years, we're going to have to accumulate 150 million RMB investment here for this plant only. Speed definitely matters, it always. Uh, besides speed, also we have a very uh, material supply chain. Here uh, also we have see lots of the innovation uh, in packaging, etc. as comes from uh, in China. We are following the, the trend of, of automotive market in China. Uh, the, it's today the first market in the world, but also the first one for electrical vehicles. We really want this company or this plant to be the first one to produce high added value products and all the innovative parts uh, and most complex parts are produced here in this plant in Shanghai. With innovation coming in, the growth is mainly coming on the complexity uh, rather than the number of pieces. While the automotive glazing maker started its business in China with a small workshop in Shanghai back in 1995, its manufacturing footprint has been extended to four cities around China. Having visited several factories here in Shanghai and be given an in-depth tour of these two plants today, it's hard to ignore the pace of foreign investment. But it's not just about speed, it's also about tech innovations and industrial upgrades that lead to more sustainable growth. And now for more discussions on the latest measures to attract foreign investment, let's bring in Chu Qiang, research fellow at the Beijing Foreign Studies University. Mr. Chu, China has seen a 32% increase in newly registered foreign companies during the first 10 months of this year. What are the unique advantages do you think that China possesses to attract foreign investment? Well, I think number one unique advantage China has is uh, its size of its economy and its potential. Uh, just take a look, China has 1.4 billion of customers. Uh, this population is huge, especially when we're, when we're talking about the purchasing power, the middle income class in China. Well, probably I think it's equal to uh, the whole income class combined together in ASEAN nations, which is the vast growing region in the whole world, and plus Latin America, which is also very fast growing currently. So this potential actually will bring the foreign enterprises a huge of the growth uh, in the next uh, 10 or 5 years and also uh, lots of the profit. The second thing I think it's the stability. China is in the far east of the whole world. It's far away from many troubles, geopolitical conflicts and choke points in the uh, supply chain recently are happening in the Middle East, in the uh, Eastern Europe. China is away from that, so which provided you know the manufacturers a lots of uh, in a stability and a peace environment to continue with their productions and operations. And I think thirdly, China is very open to the foreign enterprises on the uh, rule of law basis. For example, when you're talking about uh, uh, the entry lease in the black and white lease, China made it very clear, for example, in the uh, manufacturing sector, it's 100% allowing foreign enterprises to come in and also for the foreign capitals. When India, as another very popular uh, destiny for the foreign investment, tried to trap the foreign investor and their capital, China, on, a, on the contrary, allowed and made very clear rules allowing the capital to flow in and flow out. So it's easy in, easy out, very convenient and open for the foreign enterprises and investors. So I think all this can be really important to foreign investors. Well, maybe we still have some gap uh, lagging behind uh, for the matured market, but if you're talking about develop, uh, developing nations, I think as an emerging market, China has already been the number one welcoming the foreign investors and enterprises. And also, uh, as China prioritizes green development and consumption-driven growth, which sectors present the most promising opportunities for foreign businesses? 
Well, I, this is actually problem one of the most promising area for all the destiny of the sectors for the investment. I think EV is definitely the number one favorable, uh, you know, uh, adored area for the foreign investors. When we're talking about Elon Musk and the uh, Giga uh, factory in Shanghai, I think everybody will know the story. This is the number one production of volume in the whole world for, you know, Elon Musk and his favorite. And also, when we're talking about the uh, green uh, equipment, for example, the solar panel, when we're talking about the windmills, especially uh, when we're talking about their uh, mechanics, uh, the electric motors, and etc. Lots of the German companies made their bet on the manufacturing factory in China and earned a lot. As well as we're talking about pharmaceutical companies, Pfizer's and Africon, uh, they're also setting up their production bases at R&D centers in China because they think the fleet of Chinese talents are also a very important asset uh, and a reason to invest in China. Oh, great answers, and that's all the time we'll have for this part, but please stay with us, Mr. Chu Chang, for more discussions down the program. And still to come here on Global Business, Chinese mainland will halve tariff reductions on specific chemicals originating from the Taiwan island following violations of an economic agreement. The world economy as we know it is about to change. Global Business Reports highlight emerging markets, developing countries, and dynamic sectors worldwide. We feature top analysts and newsmakers to provide perspectives on every facet of business. From an on-the-ground perspective, we provide you with balanced and objective assessments. Fast, sharp, and insightful. Global Business, only on CGTN. Well, the Customs Tariff Commission of the State Council announced on Thursday that the Chinese mainland will halve tariff reductions on specific chemicals originating from the Taiwan region. Effective from January the 1st, 2024, a total of 12 chemical products, including propylene and paraxylene, will no longer receive preferential tax rates outlined in the Economic Cooperation Framework, uh, Framework Agreement, or the ECFA. Well, the Commission's decision to suspend tax reductions on these products is in response to Taiwan's trade measures, which have violated the terms of the agreement by imposing bans and restrictions on products from the Chinese mainland. Let's better understand uh, this development as we bring back Mr. Chu Qian from the Beijing Foreign Studies University. Mr. Chu, so the ECFA, or the ECFA, was signed back in 2010. So during those years, Chinese mainland has been honoring its commitment. And now with the uh, Taiwan authorities continuing to you know, uh, maintain trade barriers on some goods from the Chinese mainland, what impact is it likely to have on economic cooperation? Well, I think this is a huge violation of the spirit of free trade. Well, China and Taiwan are one country, but actually we are, you know, two different uh, economies. That's the same like China and Hong Kong, China and Macau. So they have probably have more of their own, you know, uh, say in their own trade policy. By doing so, uh, Taiwan recently tried to boycott and put sanctions on more than 2,509 kinds of the Chinese mainland products and give them the huge taxations or even embargo on them. So I think this is a violation of the free trade, and then um, China started this the, uh, trade investigation on Taiwan. I think it is the, the normal practice uh, in many of a similar kind of a conduct. And I think Taiwan in the past uh, 10 years, like you mentioned, uh, 10 or uh, 15 years, 
they have gained a huge size of trade uh, all over uh, mainland China. For example, we have already had a bilateral trade more than 250 billion U.S. dollars, and in which Taiwan is a winner because Taiwan enterprises they earned the surplus of 150 billion U.S. dollar. But if they started this unfair, you know, competition with mainland China, they're going to smash out their uh, profit of Taiwan's enterprises. This is one. Secondly, by you know, uh, unfairly trade, uh, you know, the mainland product, uh, they, uh, you know, unreasonably raised up the price of the local products and the supplies. For example, in Taiwan, they put a huge taxation on the mainland eggs and pork and vegetables and etc. and fruits. So, which costs? Uh, there is one time. There is a shortage of the egg supply in the supermarket in the Taiwan, as well as the very expensive porks and the beef and etc. So they're hurting the local residents' benefit. So we really want this to stop and to come back to the normal trade condition. Yes, and also we know there are about 126,000 Taiwan-funded enterprises registered here on the Chinese mainland. How do you think this will be hurting the business sentiment among the business community there? Oh, no, I don't think they were going to hurt those uh, Taiwan funded by the mainland-based enterprises at all. You know, here's a very funny fact. For example, for the propylene and also for the xylene, which is two very important the local industry for Taiwan, and they have more than 40% of the dependence on the mainland market and earn profit for uh, the local market. But because of the environmental issue and also for the uh, talents issue as well as for the land price issue, so many of these producers of these chemical engineering are moving their, uh, pro uh, their, their production lines and also factories into mainland, for example, in Zhejiang province, in Fujian province, and etc. So they started on-site production. So even though uh, mainland are starting this investigation and taxation on the uh, Taiwan chemical product, but if you're producing your things in mainland and your product will not be affected at all, so which shows that mainland China are targeting at unfair trade, but not Taiwan enterprises. We're targeting uh, to uh, re uh, revitalize the whole, uh, the both lateral uh, you know, trade and to re-correct our trade condition, not to hurt the Taiwan economy. I think this is the true spirit of those actions. Great point made. Thank you very much, Mr. Chi Chiang, Research Fellow at the Beijing Foreign Studies University for us. China and Turkey are looking to enhance their collaboration in the areas of new energy vehicles and power batteries. The industry and technology ministers of both countries met on Wednesday to discuss cooperation in industrial technology. CCTN's reporter Olivia He sat down with Turkish Minister of Industry and Technology Mohamed Fatih Kakir to find out more. When it comes to industrial technology, what are the latest achievements in the cooperation between China and Turkey? Uh, Chinese companies are now uh, in interest for making investments, uh, especially in the production of electric vehicles. Uh, but what we are looking for is also the manufacturing of batteries in Turkey. And uh, our national car brand, TOGG, uh, built a joint venture with the battery manufacturer Farasis from China and now they are preparing to make uh, the production of electric vehicle batteries in Turkey together and it's one of the latest uh, good news uh, of cooperation uh, between Turkey and China and also some other uh, companies like CRRC in railway industry or Huawei in electronics uh, segment 
many Chinese companies are having operation in Turkey. And what's the current demand like for electric vehicles in Turkey? Do you think we'll be seeing more Chinese electric vehicle brands in Turkey in the future? This year in 2023, the number of electric cars sold in the country is 10 times more than the number in previous year. And uh, that, that uh, increase will continue next year uh, because we are supporting uh, the usage of electric cars on both sides. On supply side, we are giving strong incentives for investments uh, to produce electric cars and batteries. But also on demand side, the tax issue is different for electric cars. It's much more lower mm -hmm. than in ICE cars, so that our citizens uh, are having a higher demand for electric cars now. And uh, if uh, Chinese investors, Chinese car brands, uh, will come to Turkey. I'm sure that they, they'll also uh, be successful in the market uh, because I, I saw their cars here and they are uh, looking very nice. And if they'll make investment in our country, they can sell uh, their cars uh, to, to Turkish market and also to a huge market around the country. And uh, we are ready uh, to help them and to work with them. And do you think that Turkish Ministry of Industry and Technology has any plans to boost collaboration between local companies and those from China? Yeah, sure. Uh, during our meetings with ministers, uh, we came to an agreement to build up uh, some joint uh, groups from private sector companies uh, from both countries so that uh, we will stimulate the collaboration between Turkish companies and Chinese companies. And uh, with that effort, I'm sure uh, we will see uh, results very soon. And uh, there are many things Turkish companies can add value, and also many things Chinese companies can add value. And if they can come together and work together, collaborate and cooperate uh, more, so we will see the results very soon. A report released by the Boao Forum for Asia identifies the digital economy as a key driver of growth in Asia despite economic headwinds and weak recovery momentum in the region. The report says that Asia has become a crucial component of the global innovation ecosystem. Takai has more. The Boao Forum report released on Thursday says Asian economies are fast-tracking the deployment and development of the digital economy in key areas. The report identifies the digital economy as a key source of growth for the continent. In the current world economy, the digital economy is considered one of the most dynamic forms. It possesses characteristics such as high innovativeness, strong penetration, and broad coverage, making it a vital driver of economic growth in Asia and globally. Despite the overall weakness in global economic recovery, Asia remains a bright spot for global economic growth. Official forum data shows that the scale of the digital economy across 14 countries including China, Japan, South Korea and Singapore reached $12.8 trillion in 2022, a 3.5% increase from last year. When it comes to international cooperative mechanisms like APAC or the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Forum to many of the technology unicorns, Asia, along with many of the cities dotted across the continent, is emerging as a driving force of global innovation. 
we recommend that countries in Asia work together to promote the dividends of shared digital economic development. It is essential to strengthen cooperation in network construction and research, promoting the interconnection of information infrastructure. Asian countries should also make full use of multilateral and bilateral cooperation, deepening governance rules in the field of digital economic cooperation. The digital economy refers to economic activity that relies on the use of digital knowledge and information. Asia has seen rapid advancements in sectors such as semiconductor manufacturing, artificial intelligence and e-commerce in recent years. The Secretary-General of the Boao Forum for Asia says upcoming gatherings like Boao's annual meeting early next year will discuss how to better integrate digital economy with the real economy, exploring ways to balance digital security and innovation and address issues like the digital divide with the aim of providing continuous momentum for global development. For more discussions on the digital economy in Asia, I want to bring in Andy Mark, research fellow at the Beijing Foreign Studies University. Andy, so in what ways can Asian nations leverage China's advancements in the digital economy for their own benefit? Well, thanks for having me on, Lily. So I'm actually a senior research fellow at the Center for China and Globalization. Um, but what um, ch uh, these countries can learn from China is and benefit from China is first of all China's enormous market so this provides many many opportunities for companies around Asia whether they're uh, large small individual businesses I think second is technology infrastructure including e-commerce platforms and then finally uh, the hardware itself so everything from uh, 5G uh, to smartphones. So I think there's a lot of partnership opportunities uh, for Asia working with China to expand the digital economy. How do you think the digital economy contribute to improving the efficiency of resource allocation? Well, it certainly does this, um, I think, in a number of ways. So first of all, just by reducing friction, uh, it can get uh, goods to consumers faster. So we all know that uh, especially for retail-type businesses, uh, that the cost of holding inventory can be very, very expensive. So the more you can turn over inventory more quickly, uh, the more profitable you'll be. Also, the more the happier your customers will be as well, that they can get uh, the goods they want uh, sooner versus later. And then finally, with a lot more data available and the ability to analyze that data, companies can make better decisions on a more timely basis. So uh, there's very few things in the world that uh, deliver benefits all around, but I would say that uh, digitization uh, in the supply chain uh, is probably one of them. Well, great insights. Thank you very much. That's Mr. Andy Mark, Research Fellow from the uh, Center for China and Globalization. And with that, I'm wrapping up this edition of Global Business here on CGTN. Thanks for being with us. I'm Lulu in Beijing.